0: Uh, our, our new testament reading and it's uh luke chapter one we'll be reading uh verse 26 through 56 in just a moment i'll say a few words of introduction before we get to that for for a while i was thinking about uh what i would preach on this week of course i was away last week and i was thinking that i would begin something having to do with the uh, advent of christ and i was uh thinking about doing a particular message or two about uh, why Jesus came, why he said he came. But when I learned that we were having the baptism today, that this was a good day for Catherine to be baptized, I decided to preach rather on the Magnificat because it speaks about child being brought forth, of course, of the Lord Jesus and about how from generation to generation that God's blessing comes on his people. In this, uh, in this passage, it's uh, verse 46 through 56 in Luke 1. Luke 1, 46 through 56, uh, we have the wonderful response of Mary to the blessing of conceiving Jesus Christ, our Savior. I looked back and found that I, I, only, I only looked yesterday, I don't know why I didn't look before, but I looked back and I saw that it looks like I preached on this more or less every five or six years. I've preached on this passage around this time of year. And uh, the interesting thing is, is when I looked at over some of the sermons, they all had influence based on what series we were doing at the time or, or something like that. And uh, for example, the last time it was back in uh, 2018. And that's when uh, we had just had our series of going through the Bible, or we were going through it, going through the whole Bible. And I went through it that time and showed how the things here were fulfilled in the Old Testament. Just a one-sentence summary in almost every, um, every book of the Bible, how that, what is the bringing forth of the Son. And uh, so today, as we, as we come to this, uh, is, is going to be no different. Not only do we have a baptism today, But much of what I'm going to say will correlate with the sermon series we had in the past on this recently on the Song of Solomon, and then the one that we have now in Hebrews, where we see people trusting in the kingdom and looking forward to what God is going to do. You'll see reflections of those things in the message today. The whole scripture is tied together, and we can look at things under different shadows and and things like that to see things uh, in different perspectives. So let's proceed then with our scripture reading here. We'll read again. I'm going to back up to verse 26, and I'll say a few words about the portion from uh, 26 to 46, but our main focus will be 46 to 56. So this is the Word of God, Luke 1, 26. Be sure to give attention that it is due. Now in the sixth month... Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed and went into the hill country. I'm sorry. (laughs) And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. And there we end the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Let's ask him to bless it. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the word that we have just heard to our understanding. As we consider these things and what they mean to us as your people. For they are very rich things that are given to us here by your Holy Spirit. We ask you that we may have receptive hearts and understanding minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you see how Luke unfolds the marvelous circumstances. Concerning the conception of Christ here in that first part that we read, a part that we're not really focusing on as much, but very, very wonderful things there. Mary, a young maiden who is a, a virgin and betrothed to a man. She was probably a fairly young teenager, actually. A man named Joseph receives a visit from the angel Gabriel. And he announces that she is going to conceive and bring forth the one who will be called the son of the highest in other words the son of god and who will be the promised son of david to sit on david's throne which was clearly saying the messiah okay the one david they were all looking for the the people of israel were all looking for the messiah to come the one that they called the son of david who would reign on david's throne forever and ever mary asks how it can be possible that she can have a child when she has not known a man she has not had relations with any man she's a virgin and gabriel tells her that the holy spirit will form the child in her womb in response to the angel mary essentially says amen Uh, so be it you know as you have said her words are behold the maid servant of the lord Let it be to me according to your word. And then she goes to the house of her relative Elizabeth, who's much older than her. Elizabeth had also brought forth a son by the hand of God in her old age, when she was too old to have a child. had been barren all of her life. And uh, she brought forth, of course, the one that was uh, John the Baptist. And uh, so she had conceived this son that was to be a herald, of Jesus Christ, and John is filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins his work as soon as uh, when Mary shows up, she greets her at the, in, in the house, and uh, John begins his work of, of heralding the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he leapt in her womb in a marvelous way that Elizabeth knew that something was going on here. She was about six months pregnant at the time, and uh, she, was, uh, she was filled with the Holy Spirit herself. And she began to praise the Lord. And uh, the, this is uh, this is what she said. She joyfully responds in, in verse 42. We, we just read a minute ago, but I'll read it again. Then she spoke out. This is Elizabeth, right? She spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe... Leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of these things which were told her from the Lord. And then we have the spirit filled response of Mary to what has been done. And that's what we're going to be looking at. So it's sort of the, the Holy Spirit was uh, contagious in a certain way that uh, first the little baby, uh, filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And uh, responding to Christ. And then Elizabeth, his mother, responding to Christ with her words. And then Mary now responding and giving her response by the Holy Spirit. This was the words that she was given by the Spirit. So look at how beautifully Mary responds to God for his mercy to her and to her people in their lowliness. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. She is all in with her praises. She is not here one going through the mere external forms of worship, just saying, oh, it's time to worship God. And so I'll say the things that I'm supposed to say. Now I've done that and I'll go on to something else. Her soul and spirit are fully engaged with what she is saying her body doesn't remain inactive she is speaking but you see we can easily say all of the right things in our worship and yet our heart be far away not so with Mary my my spirit rejoices she says my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices she's thrilled with what God has done she's an example for us all The Lord confronts his people many times for their superficiality and their worship. They come before him and their heart is far away. Their lips say the right things, but their heart is far away. He does not approve of that kind of worship. Mary speaks of two great features of a life well lived. That we magnify the Lord and that we rejoice in him. To magnify him is to raise our regard for him. In other words, to see his glory and to see his greatness so that he's elevated in our minds of seeing him more fully as he truly is. And then to magnify him includes also then speaking of him and living in a way that is suited to his greatness, his beauty, his glory, his perfections, his majesty. It it is for our whole life to come up more and more to what he is, for us to be living in response to who he is, to thinking about that in the right way and living and responding to him as our God. You see, we are debtors because we have not done that. We do not we regard him as he deserves to be regarded. We do not serve him as he deserves to be served. If, think about that as a debtor. If you hire someone and they do a bunch of work for you according to what you've asked them to do and what you said you would pay them, they do a really good job, and then you withhold their pay then you've not given them what they deserve, what they're due. And when you have the most high God who is exalted and glorious, lovely above all things, and you don't regard him as you should, and we all come short of the glory of God, don't we? Then you're a debtor. Like you have unfulfilled responsibilities, duties, that are the most important duties that you could ever have. You have not regarded God. Remember when an atheist told me, he said, atheists can be moral too. And I said, no, you can't. Because man's greatest calling is to love the Lord as God with all our heart, soul mind, and strength and to glorify and honor him. you cannot be moral as an atheist because that's the greatest of all immoralities you owe you're not doing what you owe you're not bringing forward what you owe so this is something that Mary says I have an elevated view of God, my, my, my sense of who he is, of his greatness and, and beauty and grace and all these things is, is raised up. I magnify the Lord. I exalt him and I bring, I bring that forward to other people. So this is a great feature. That's the first of them. Um, sometimes we treat God as a nobody who has done little, as if what he has done is not very important. And then to rejoice in him, that's the second thing. That's to respond to his glory and perfection with gladness. To look at him and who he is and to delight in it. Some people see the greatness of God in a in a wrong kind of way where it makes them angry and they, they despise God. They don't delight in his works. But this is like just as you might rejoice in something like a fine piece of art if you're into that, or a wonderful performance by a musician or by a gymnast, or a new piece of amazing technology. Maybe that makes you uh, rejoice. You, you have something new, a tool maybe it is, that, that you can use, that you're, you're very excited about. We sometimes magnify and rejoice in a tool or a concert that we went to, but we don't magnify and we rejoice in the Lord. And so you see Mary is saying she does that in the Lord. This is what we were cut out to do as human beings. The magnification and rejoicing in God are our primary purpose as people, as human beings. Not just as Christians, but as people. He made us to know Him and to delight in Him and to live for Him in the light of His glorious person, who He is. The Reformers recognized this when they were returning to apostolic Christianity, to the the teachings of the Scripture. What did they they say when they put together a uh, catechism later on, the catechism that we use? They began with the first question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is what? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. What were they talking about? Just what Mary says. To magnify the Lord and to rejoice in Him as my Savior. To glorify God and to enjoy Him. That's what our whole life is to be all about. And you see, people have begun to magnify themselves. To say, oh, I can, I'm righteous. I can save myself. I can do this. I can do that. I can make good in my life. I can get on well without God. And the reformers said, no, no, we're lost. We're sinners. We're undone. This is what the Bible teaches. And it's only in God that we can rejoice in these things. God made us and blessed us. And we're to magnify him and to rejoice in him. Especially now that he is not only our creator, but also our savior. So Mary is an excellent example of this. But there is something that, might be disturbing to us here, if we are honest about it. We know we shouldn't be disturbed by something like this, but if we look at this, a lot of people today, I think, would have this issue. Notice what has stirred up Mary's joy and praise. She speaks of how God has delivered her and her people. Okay, fine. She speaks, though, of her lowliness and the lowliness of her people and how God has brought down those who are exalted above them. That's the emphasis of the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, she, she goes over it again and again. Like, you, you brought those people down, and you put us up on top. Like, they're down, we're up. Way to go. This is, this is just what I was looking for. Look, look first what she says about herself. That she's a lowly person, but that now God has given her this child, and she's going to be highly regarded. All those proud people who thought they were something, well, now she's beyond all of them. You know, they're, they're brought down, and, and she's brought up. Everybody will see the, and how blessed she is. Even her older relative, Elizabeth, with, uh, that she's gone to visit, who has her own special pregnancy, regards her much younger cousin as having a greater blessing than she does. This makes Mary very pleased. Look next at what she says about her people. They had been slaves who were often oppressed, as they were slaves in Egypt when God first came to them, and then they were enslaved by other people, and then by the Babylonians, and now they're under Roman dominion. The Romans are occupying their land and ruling over them and taxing them. They very much did not like that situation. So she speaks of how again and again God delivered them, and that when He did, their proud enemies were scattered, the mighty would be put down from their thrones, and the lowly were lifted up, She says this again and again in this this whole uh, presentation. There, There are two things here that might disturb us. First, did Mary and her people really have it all that bad at this time? She speaks of her lowliness, but she almost sounds like an envious teenager who feels neglected and unnoticed. She was not a slave, she was not particularly oppressed at this time. The world was under Rome, and the Romans had actually brought in one of the better governments that had ever been brought in. There was Pax Romana, so that the, there was peace. There weren't a bunch of wars, little skirmishes that were always going on before that. And uh, they had, um, you know, prosperity. There was a lot of trade going on and everything. She was not rich, but she had sufficient resources and freedom to travel and spend three months with Elizabeth. And as soon as she she was soon to be married, not to a slave, but to a free man who was a tradesman. He was a carpenter. He was not a rich man, but he had a donkey, He had a house. We know that he had some things like that. We we have so much envy today in our society where everyone looks at anybody that has more than them and, and says, oh, well, you know, who do they think they are? And then when they get on top, oh, now I'm on top. And those people are brought down. Now, yeah, this is, this is more the way it should be. They, they look at them with disdain, where everyone seems to compete. Today, it's a weird thing in our society for being the most victimized person. The person that has the hardest situation, the most difficult life, that's the most oppressed, the most abused, the most disadvantaged, the most whatever it is. It's almost like we're in a competition or something. That We're the most unappreciated and we're the, the hardest working and the most unapproved, the, the one with the most troubles and the most hardships. That My trials are trials that other people don't have. Whatever it is. Is Mary revealing a heart like that here? I mean, she's Yes, she speaks praises to the Lord for raising her up from her lowly estate. She, she gives God the credit for that. But is this something like a young woman who is envious of her friends because she doesn't have as nice clothes or as nice a car or something like that, who, who prays for deliverance from these things, and, and then she has a turn of events and becomes wealthy. Maybe she gets an inheritance or something like that. And then she looks with disdain on all of those who have less than she has now. I've been raised up. They've been brought down. Now, a lot of people would read this, and honestly, that's what they might say. And then, that's the one disturbing thing. And yet another disturbing thing. If God always favors the lowly over the wealthy, what good is it to be lifted up to a higher station? I mean, because as soon as you're lifted up, then you're in the place of the wealthy who's going to be brought down that God doesn't favor. You, you, you were favored when you were low. He raised you up now and you're no longer favored because you're, you, the exalted ones are the ones that are brought down. You have just switched places and it will only be a matter of time until some poor person is raised up over you. And says, you have brought down the lowly and you have raised me up over these high people that were, were here. He, look at verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So the question becomes, how does God show favor to anyone by lifting them up? If he despises those who are lifted up, why would he exalt her? Why would he do these things and make her full if it's the full people that he brings down? Perhaps there's another question as well. In the scriptures, we see God again and again lifting his people out of bondage or lowliness over their enemies. And if that is his purpose to raise his people above his enemies, then why does he have to do it again all the time? Why are they always in the lowly place again? Over and over again in history. They come out of Egypt, and then they die in the wilderness. They are brought into the promised land, but then they are oppressed by the Midianites and the Philistines and the Amorites. The Assyrians come later, and eventually back in slavery again in Babylon. And then they're brought out but only to be brought under the dominion of the, the, uh, the Persian Empire, and then the, and then the uh, Greeks, and then the Romans, which they were under in Mary's time. So why, if God's purpose is to raise them up above other people, why do they keep going down again? He keeps having to do it again and again and again. How are we to understand all of this? What is Mary saying here? Well, let me say emphatically, that the way I just described it is not what Mary is talking about. She is not a whiny teenager who is resentful of her lowly place in comparison with other people as she perceived it. Mary speaks here of the whole church of which she is a member. This means that she is of the people being part of the church That God chose and called to be His people, His wife, His bride, so that these people that He chose to be His bride might be fruitful for Him. That they might be fruitful at bringing forth fruit that delights Him. God created, I already touched on this a little bit when we talked about our purpose is to magnify God and to enjoy Him. God created people to be fruitful for him. Let me explain what that means. If we go back to Genesis, we're told that God made us male and female in his own image. That means that we were created with the ability to live like God, but on a human scale. An image of the most high God. We are an image of him. Just like you have a, A portrait that's made of a person it's an image of them it reflects something of what they're like it shows if they're a glorious person it shows their glory our lives would beautifully and gloriously reflect God's love kindness faithfulness wisdom justice goodness holiness truth and so on and right from the beginning he blessed us and he commanded us human beings to be fruitful and to multiply ourselves so that the world would be filled with image-bearers of Him, all living in love and reflecting together corporately in their love for one another, their service to one another, the beauty of God in whose image they were made. They would be wise and just and faithful and holy, and they would serve God the way that God is to be served. But before our first parents even had their first child, they became utterly barren. They rebelled against God and became dead in their trespasses and sins. They became a veritable wilderness where they, could, they had no life and they could not bring forth life. They were dead in trespasses and sins. Now they could no longer bring forth children that were like God because they were not like God. They were severed from God. They and their children were still constitutionally made in God's image, but now a very poor and distorted image of God, which is worse than being no image of God, an offensive image of God, something that's supposed to represent God, that actually is set up to represent God and utterly misrepresents God. God pronounced death upon them all. They were barren in that though they could have children, they and their children would be all the same, dead in their trespasses and sins and would end up being cast away into the place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The pit of hell. They were dead and they would always be dead. Nevertheless, before God even drove them out of the Garden of Eden, He came to Adam and Eve and promised to gather out a people to be His own people. He promised that by His grace... These people he called out would bring forth a son who would redeem all of those he calls out to be his people. He promises that though they are ruined by sin, they will bring forth this son. But what happens? The years go by. And they're unable to bring forth his son. The ones that God specially called out to do this are unable to bring forth his son and God shows them that. He had singled out Abraham and his posterity 2,000 years after he created the world as the family from which this son was to come. And he gives him circumcision to seal that promise. There are many hopeful prospects, but all of them turn out to be sinful. And even Abraham, he and his wife, God made his wife barren so that they could not bring forth even a son except by God's miraculous hand to bring forth that line that was to bring forth the Messiah. Yet, so God, through all the ages, continues to renew his promises to these people that find themselves unable to bring forth the son that he has called for. They only bring forth sinful sons. And they believe God, like Abraham did, Looking to him to establish his kingdom that has foundations whose builder and maker is God, eternal in the heavens. They continue by faith, what we've seen in Hebrews. Believing that God will give them the son that will redeem them and that will establish this kingdom. That will be the heir, the proper heir of this kingdom. And able to bestow it on all of them and all of the nations that would turn to him. Now we are ready to understand the lowliness that mary is talking about here the lowliness what is this lowliness the lowliness that she speaks of is the church's inability to bring forth the godly offspring in particular in particular the godly son that god has promised to her it was you see of god a promise of restoration of redemption That she would, the church would be able to be those people that were fruitful for him that we were first created to be. And everyone in the church shares in this lowliness, this inability, this unfitness to be what we ought to be. When God calls us into his kingdom in truth, when he calls us to come and trust in him and be his people. He exposes this deficiency in us. He shows us this sin. He shows us that we're debtors. He shows us that we're incapable of salvation. We see our sin and our inability to bring forth fruit in our lives that pleases Him. God would have to pardon them. And God would have to deliver them and only He could do it. He made that very clear through the ages. Before Jesus came, the people also saw then their ability their inability to bring forth this son of promise. They were God's wife and they were barren. The world was bringing forth rebels like crazy. They were unable to bring forth the righteous child that God promised. They were unfruitful. The ungodly woman had many children. The godly woman could not have. She was barren. All she brought forth was more children of death. It would only be by His hand that they would bring forth the Son of Righteousness who would save them. So Mary, speaking of the lowly and the proud, the lowly versus the proud, the empty versus the full, is not speaking about riches and dominion in this world. She is speaking of the awareness that she and all the members of the true church have of their inability to be what they ought to be, of their inability to please God, of their inability to do anything about it, of their inability in her time to bring forth the godly son who would redeem them. The proud are those who, on the other hand, those who do not acknowledge their need of redemption. They will not acknowledge that. They need redemption just as much as anyone else. But they refuse to acknowledge it. They do not acknowledge that they have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that they're debtors to Him. They say that God is irrelevant. They say that God is not. They mock and disdain salvation by grace. Some of them are atheists. Some of them are Pharisees and churchmen who say, we've got this. We can do this. We're righteous. And they look with disdain on those who are looking to God to save them. Because we're the people. Look at us. Their works, their ceremonies, whatever it is. When Mary is told then that she is conceiving the son of promise, she speaks for the whole church here. The barren church And the church in the wilderness, right? That's where John the Baptist preached. They were in the wilderness where they couldn't bring forth any fruit. And Mary speaks in behalf of the whole church, the bride of Christ. She is the representative of the bride of Christ as the one who now is that woman that God chose to bring forth this child. God has given the barren woman who is poor and unable to bring forth a child, the son that he promised for all of those 4,000 years. Look at, look at verse 54 and 55, talks about the promise of, the, of 2,000 years. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his, prom, of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. It is not that now she and her fellow believers are going to be richer in this world's goods than their counterparts, their ungodly counterparts, it is that they will at last be able to please God because the Son of Righteousness has come. Some of them will be rich. Some of them will be poor. But the riches that Mary is talking about is the riches of being able to please God and having the one that God promised that would redeem them so that they could live forever and ever in God's glorious house. The, this son that she has will please God as no one ever had. And He will redeem his people, and he will save them from bondage to sin, Satan and death and all those in the world that oppose the kingdom of God. That is what she and her companions in the church want. That is what she rejoices about in God, my savior, she says, the proud will go on pursuing their own goals without God and they will end up being utterly frustrated. At the last day, they and their disdain of God will be fully exposed. The barren bride, on the other hand, who trusted in God's promise to Abraham of deliverance and salvation, will be blessed forever in God's house as his fruitful bride. So I wonder, where are you in all of this? There's two very distinct categories. Are you part of the true church church? that is lowly and it recognizes that you're a debtor to God, that you've, you're lowly because you've come short of the glory of God, you have not lived in a way that is suited to who He is, you've not magnified Him, you've not glorified Him, you've not rejoiced in Him. Are you of that persuasion and so you're looking to God alone for your salvation? Through the salvation that he has provided that we could not bring forth, but that we did bring forth by his grace. He enabled the woman to bring forth his son. Are you looking to him, trusting in him for salvation? Or are you saying, oh, I don't need any of that. I'm fine as I am. Are you proud? Do you say, I'm no debtor. I don't have this problem, this deficiency. I don't need to be redeemed by God. Or I can take care of that myself. I can work out all this myself. I can do what I need to do. If that is you, then, then you are the one who will be scattered and brought down and destroyed. You will be cast into the place of outer darkness because you're a debtor to God. But if you're the one who says that you, if you see that you're lowly and you come to him for salvation, he will not turn you away. No matter how much you have sinned, no matter what you may have done, he will receive you and bless you. Please stand and let's call on his name. Oh Lord our God, how thankful we are for this song of your church that, that Mary brought forth. Lord, this is the song that resonates in our hearts, Lord. As we are a people who who recognize that that we we're lowly, we're we're poor. We, we, we have nothing. We we cannot bring forth anything that is really important, anything that is pleasing to you. And Father, we praise you that. And that through all those ages before Christ came, that you continued to uphold that promise so that they continued to look for the, the city whose builder and maker is God. They continued to, to live by faith and to wait on you to bring forth that promise, whether they had a lot in this world or whether they had nothing in this world. There were people like Job and Abraham that were wealthy, and there were other people that were poor and needy. But Father... You were the one who they they all knew together that they were all poor and needy when it came to the things that are really needed. And we thank you, O Lord, that in the fullness of time, you did answer your promise and their prayers and you brought forth your son. And we praise you, O Lord, that he has come and we can look back now and rejoice like Mary did. We can magnify you, O Lord, and rejoice in you as our savior, truly God, the son has come and he is our savior and we have assurance and hope that he will bring us to his glorious kingdom we will be exalted forever and all of those who rebel against you will be brought down and cast into the place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth satan will not prevail but the proud and all who are with him will be cast away father help us then to rejoice in the hope that we have and to bring forth our children in this hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Lord our God, may the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, who made heaven and earth. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.